Today's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to chapter 4, verse 9. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudodia and entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, true story, <clears throat> uh, Friday morning as I was about to sit down and, uh, and write this sermon, my youngest son, Jeremiah, asked me, he said, um, Dad, is your job hard? And uh, I, said, I said, Jeremiah, I love my job. I said, sometimes it's hard uh, because sometimes I have to talk about politics. And, uh, and he, to which he said, what's politics? To which I said, please don't ever grow up. Uh, stay here. Don't go to high school. Um, yeah, so this morning we're going to take a break from our Ephesians series, and I'm going to try my best to risk offending every last one of you because um, of the big day coming up. And uh, I know that right off the bat, there's probably a lot of uh, things you're thinking right now. Some of you may be thinking, um, he better say something that I agree with or I'm out of here. Um, others of you uh, might be thinking, um, uh, is he about to tell me uh, how to vote? And let me just take that right off the table, I I'm not. Uh, and still others of you, maybe the majority of you, might be thinking, hey, not here. Like, not here, just tell us the gospel. Preach the gospel. And I am gonna preach the gospel. Um, but the gospel, is, the gospel should affect every square inch of our lives, of our hearts, of our minds, of our actions. 
including our politics. Uh, every, today, everyone's saying, hey, you gotta pick a side. You gotta pick a team. Pick a side, you have to choose, and you do. But if you're a Christian, uh, you're on a different team. Neither of those two defines you primarily. Your primary identity as a Christian is something altogether other and it is your primary identity as a Christian that should affect everything about your life and it should affect how you go into Tuesday into that booth or if you've already voted or how you respond to what happens on Tuesday. Your primary identity is completely other from the options that are being presented to you as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And so today, I want, us to I want to remind you and I want to remind myself of who we are, who we are as God's people, and how that should affect how we engage issues of our nation. And we're going to let this passage in Philippians guide us. So what do we need to remember? As we go into Tuesday, what do we need to remember about our identity I want to point out four things that we need to remember as we head into Tuesday about who we are. So clearly, so I'm talking, you, you may be sitting here today, you may not be a Christian, that's okay, we love that you're here. Today, I am talking to the family of God, I'm talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, I welcome you to listen in, but this is a message for God's people today. Four things that we need to remember as we go into Tuesday. The first is this, that we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. In our passage this morning, Paul is writing to a group of Christians, a group of churches, house churches. Uh, these are Roman citizens, but they are living in the colony of Philippi. They're living far away uh, from home base from Rome. They're citizens of Rome, but they're living far away from Rome. And Paul uses that as an illustration, an example to describe our citizenship, our true citizenship as Christians. That we are citizens, Paul says, of heaven, though we live on earth. And notice Paul doesn't say you will be a citizen. He says we are citizens now. See, the moment that you become a Christian, the moment that you place your trust in Jesus, your citizenship is transferred from this world to the next one. Today, by God's grace, you are granted the status of citizen in his forever kingdom. And here's what this means. It means that Christians don't live in a democracy. We live in a monarchy we live in a monarchy. My heart, my mind, my soul belongs to no president or leader of this world, but belongs to a loving, authoritative king, the King Jesus. And so do you. Your ultimate allegiance does not lie in any political party or leader. It lies in him. And that should make us different from any party or, or governmental organization. There should be a difference. There was in the first, in the early church. 
There was a difference in the early church. A guy named uh, Larry Hurtado, he's a New Testament uh, scholar. He's done extensive research on the church in the first three centuries. And he points out five things about the church in the first few centuries. The early church, he points out five things that were markedly different from the world around them, that set them apart from the world around them, that caused the world around them to go, what's going on here? And here are the five things. Number one, they were the first multi-ethnic religion in history. They were the first multi-ethnic religion in history. Up to that point, your religion was decided by the country in which you lived or your culture or the color of your skin. And in Roman society, the, 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 you know, the, the, uh, the backdrop for much of the early church, first few centuries of the church, in Roman society, people were ranked by culture and color. But the church of Jesus said, uh-uh, not here. All God's image bearers, and in Christ, we are all one. You have a place here. That's number one. Number two, distinction. The church had a, had a reputation for being radically concerned about the poor. There was even a Roman emperor who hated the spread of Christianity. He was trying to stop the spread of Christianity, but this emperor said, he said, these Christians, they not only care about their poor, dadgummit, in, you know, Italian, uh, they, or Latin, they care about our poor. Number three, the church was the first pro-life establishment. In, uh, in Greek and Roman culture, uh, it was it wasn't a big deal to take a baby that you didn't want and throw it into the trash heap, especially if it was a female. Christians came in and they, they took these babies and they brought them home and they raised them as their own, adopting them as their own children. Number four, the early church was countercultural in their sexual practice. You see, in that time, Women could only have sex with their husbands, but their husbands could have sex with whomever they wanted to. And as you might imagine, this led to all sorts of uh, oppression and exploitation of women. The church said, no, uh-uh. Sex is reserved for husband and wife. Completely countercultural. And number five, the early church was known for its forgiveness. When the Roman government persecuted Christians, killed Christians, Christians didn't kill them back because they practiced what Jesus taught them. Love even your enemies. Now I want you to think about those five for a second. Imagine a group of people today holding to all five of those values the first two, right? A commitment to racial justice, a commitment to economic equality. Sounds like something to many people the Democrats are known for. The second two, sanctity of life, sexual ethics. That sounds like something Republicans are known for. The last one, forgiveness. That sounds like something neither party is known for, right? Christians are to be known for all for all five and then some, because we are something else altogether. 
Our true citizenship lies elsewhere. Now, I'm not saying that it is wrong for you to align with a particular party. I am saying there is no single party that encompasses all the values of the gospel, and there is no single party exempt from the critique of the gospel. By the way, the early church thrived when it was not cozy with the establishment. And it declined when it was. And history has proven this out, right? We, we name our children Matthew and Mary. We name our pets Caesar and Nero. When America is only a footnote in the archives of the new creation, when America is only a footnote in the archives of the new creation, God's kingdom will endure forever. On Tuesday, we need to remember we are citizens of heaven. Second thing we need to remember, we are members of a family. We are members of a family. Three times in this passage, Paul refers to the Philippians as what? Brothers, right? Now, was Paul writing this letter to his biological uh, siblings in Philippi? No. What Paul's done is he has taken up the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus that said, when you become a follower of his, you now have a new family, and that new family is even more primary, it's even more significant, it's even more important than your biological family. Now, let me ask you a question, hard question here. If your family of faith is even more important than your biological family, is it more important than your political allegiance? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> um, David Zoll, in his book, Seculosity, writes... The political dimension of life remains tremendously important, but the psycho-spiritual dimension trumps it every time. You fall in love, and all of a sudden the newspaper holds very little interest. Your parent gets diagnosed with cancer, and rally? What rally? There isn't a liberal or conservative in a hospital room, just a human being. Now, unfortunately, recent studies show us that more and more people are uh, building their friendships around political alignment. In one particular study, it says that we are uh, less likely than ever before to be in relationship with people who have different political views than we do. This should not be the case for the church. This shouldn't be the case for the church. I mean, one uh, example would be the, the earliest church, the first, uh, among the first church, the first 12, the first disciples of Jesus. Do you know that you have political diversity? You have Matthew and you have Simon. Matthew was a, a tax collector, uh, big government, right? Simon uh, was a zealot. Everything was anti-government, okay? Small government, you might say. These two together in the first church following Jesus around. Why? How? Because their loyalty to Jesus trumped their political loyalties. Because it must. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel more at home with people who do not share your faith, but share your politics, 
than you do with people who share your faith who don't share your politics? It's an exposing question, isn't it? Have you forgotten that you're a member of the family, the family of God? Did you catch this part in the passage where Paul challenges two Christians, two sisters in the faith, Eodia and Syntyche? He says, will you two get along? By the way, how'd you like to be called out in a letter that would be read for millennia? Um, now, we don't know what we don't know what they were fighting about. We don't know what Iodia and Syntyche, we don't know what their issue was. Maybe they were arguing about Roman politics. We don't know, but it doesn't matter. Because what does Paul say? He says, whatever your disagreement is, whatever your disagreement is, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Let your loyalty to Jesus trump your loyalty in any other sphere, including your politics. You see, God cares about how we treat his children. God cares about how we treat each other in the family. And let me be clear, there's always place for critique. Critique is fair game. What is not is contempt. There's no place for contempt, not in the family of God. And I don't know about you, but in 2020, I've seen a lot of, not, not critique necessarily of another party's platform, but contempt of the other party's persons, people, members. And you know, I mean, hey, if that's what the world is gonna do, so be it, right? There's no law against showing contempt to somebody of another party. But in the church, it's different. Because in the church, showing contempt to another brother or sister in the faith of another party, that is against Jesus' command to us. Which said, what does he say to us? He says, even if you're at the altar with a gift of worship and you've got an issue with somebody, leave your gift, go reconcile, go work that out. There's no room for contempt. C.S. Lewis said, it is with awe that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, because next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor as an image bearer of God is the holiest object presented to your senses. And he's just talking about humans, image bearers of God. But what happens when it's a brother or sister in the faith? And there is no room, certainly no room there for contempt. When you know this, you'll never show contempt or look down on them. You'll always be asking, how can I learn? What can I learn from this person? You'll always be asking, what, what would it look like for me to be a listener here? What would it look like for me to speak well of this person? Things we gotta remember heading into Tuesday. We're citizens of heaven. We're members of a family. Here's the third thing that we gotta remember going into Tuesday. We are called to a cruciform life. We as Christians, I'm not speaking about anybody else, I'm talking about us. We as Christians are called to a cruciform life. All right, Joe, you've said an awful lot about what not to do, so what do we do as it relates to political engagement? We do this. We step into the cruciform life that Jesus has called us to. Cruciform means in the shape of the cross. 
just as Jesus stooped low for the sake of lifting others up. Just as Jesus sacrificed his own interests, his own privileges, his own needs for the interests, privileges, and needs of others, we are called to do the same. We're called to walk in the same. Now, we're not, we're not anybody's savior. We're not dying on a cross for anybody. Don't misunderstand me. But that pattern has now been set for us. We are to walk in it for the sake of loving others the way that he's loved us. What does Paul say? Chapter 2, verse 3. Or excuse me, before that, what's he say at the beginning of our passage? Chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What is this example that Paul calls us to imitate? It's the example that he's already laid out for us in this letter. Now, chapter two, verse three, this is what it is. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Listen to these words. Rather, in humility, value others more than yourself not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. Listen to this. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing. That's the cruciform path that every Christian is called to, that just as Jesus laid down his interests for the sake of serving and loving others, we're called to do that same thing. Fleming Rutledge said, trying to understand someone else's predicament lies at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Let me read that again. Trying to understand someone else's predicament lies at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. So, here's our election day question. Which will lift others up? Which will lead to others being blessed? Others being valued? Others being loved? See, through the, see though the Bible doesn't, certainly doesn't endorse a candidate or a party, it does endorse issues of love and justice. Whatever is true, Paul said, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Paul says, don't just think about these things. Practice these things. And this should mean, this should mean that there are times where we will look very conservative by liberal standards. And this should mean that there will be times where we will look very liberal by conservative standards because our allegiance is to Jesus and he will not be domesticated by any package deal party platform. Caring for the poor, it's not a left-wing issue. It's a Jesus issue. And yet the, the average American Christian gives away 2.9% of their income. That's not the cruciform path. Caring, pr protecting, fighting for the unborn, that's not a right-wing issue. That's a Jesus issue. And yet there are many Christians who, who want to pretend as though this doesn't continue to be an issue. That's not the cruciform path of Jesus that we're called to.
caring about the history and current stories of black men, women, and children, that is not a political issue. That is a gospel issue. Because before anybody, before, before black lives mattered to anybody, they mattered to God. They mattered to God. Now, how do we fight poverty? How do we fight for the unborn? How do we fight for the dignity of all God's image bearers regardless of skin color? That's gonna generate tons of answers that is gonna generate much disagreement. That's okay. That's why we have these debates. That's why we have these discussions. See, I'm not saying policy decisions are simple. I'm saying for a Christian, convictions and motivations are. They are for the sake of others. We ask not what is best for me, but what is best for them. Jesus said, what you do for the least of these, you do it unto me. That's our question when it comes to politics and our engagement. We're citizens of heaven. We're members of a family. We're called to a cruciform life. Let's go and round the corner to the last one as I know that many of you are uncomfortable. Last thing that you need to remember for Tuesday is that we already have the perfect king. We already have the perfect king. As TJ in his prayer alluded to, uh, somebody's gonna win and somebody's gonna lose on Tuesday. And there are gonna be people who are devastated and there are gonna be people who are extremely excited. If you are the former devastated on Tuesday, you need to remember that you already have a king and he didn't lose. If you are the latter and you are elated on Tuesday, you need to remember that you have a king and he didn't win this election. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says, and we eagerly await a savior not from here, from there, he says. We eagerly await a savior from there. We have a king, and that king is our savior. I heard this week of a story of a uh, tribal community in Africa, uh, and like many tribal communities in Africa, they've, they've had to dig their own well but this isn't a traditional well like we think of, you know, lined with bricks and with a pulley system and a, a bucket that goes down to the bottom. No, this is the type of well where you actually have to climb down the well. Sometimes these are dug as deep as 100 feet, and you've got to climb down the well, fetch the water, and climb up with your bucket. One of the reasons that they do this is because, you know, water's so scarce in many of these communities in Africa that they don't want just some neighboring uh, enemy to come and steal their water, so it's very challenging to get the water. And a member of this tribe had climbed down this well, and on his way back up with the water, he fell, and he broke his leg, and he's stuck in agony at the bottom of this well. And some of the tribe began to gather around, but nobody, nobody was willing to go down there it's too scary, it's too dangerous. Nobody's willing to risk their own life to go down, then carry this guy up, climbing the walls of this well. Nobody except one, the tribal chief. The chief who literally took off his, he had this massive crown <laughs> that he wears, and he took off this ceremonial robe, 
and he climbed down the well and he grabbed a hold of this guy and he climbed up with him in his arms. Now, whether he knew it or not, that was cruciform leadership at its best because that's just a small picture of the greatest expression of self-sacrifice for the sake of lifting others up and what our King Jesus has done when he took off his crown and his robe and he put on flesh and he came down to this world and to the muck with us that he might bring us up with him. You know, when he, went to, you know, when he came to this world, he didn't come to ascend a throne. He came to ascend a cross. And when you recognize that that is what your king has done for you, that he set aside his privileges to privilege you, you'll begin doing the same things in your life, even in your politics. And you'll be able to say, along with the author of Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save Blessed is he whose help is in God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. The Lord reigns forever. Amen. Join me in praying. God, I just want to echo TJ's prayer for this Tuesday, regardless of the outcome. You are the one, uh, there, is not a, there is not a maverick molecule in all the universe that escapes your sovereignty, your power, your reign. And so God, we cling in hope to you as our king. And God, we pray, I pray for the hearts, especially of all of your people, men and women, who have claimed the Jesus way because he has saved us. I pray, God, that we would Step into the cruciform path that you've called for us. Not to earn anything from you, it's already been earned, but to show the world what you are like. And God, I pray as our country at sometimes just feels like it is in utter turmoil, things are just a disaster in certain places and certain respects, God, would your church truly lead the charge in being a countercultural community? just as your church did in the early days. God, all not for our glory, but all for yours. We pray this in your mighty, matchless name, the name of the King, Jesus. Amen.